create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm joined here with Maharaja of my heart, Chris Prunty, as well Aww. as continued special guest, Daniel Quinn. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Good, good. Sausage. Pandemic good. Yeah. Yeah, pandemic good, I think, is, uh, is a pretty good uh, way to kind of frame everything. Uh, speaking of, we really do hope you're doing well with all the pandemic stuff and everything going on, which brings us today's episode, part three, our final part of our dip into the land of a thousand mods, our cyberpunk world. In today's episode, we're going to be going around and introducing our own ways of how we would approach the land of a thousand mods. And Daniel, why don't you go ahead and start us off today? What I was thinking of is different different types of stories you might be able to tell um, in in this sort of environment. So um, one fun one, I thought, um, which could be, you know, you played as either a game, you could set it up as an RPG game, you could do a short story, um, you could potentially make like, um, you know, a, a, a virtual game out of it as well, um, is a heist. So um, your typical heist gets... Yeah, that's the classic cyberpunk trope, of course. Exactly. So you get a bunch of people together, and since we've already established factions, um, you could have a character from each of the factions, and we know that they all hate each other, or at least are opposed to each other in some way, so you'd need a common reason for them to come together. And maybe, um, you know, they're, they're, they have a common enemy, and they're stealing from that common enemy, um, or maybe they're, in fact, all working against each other and trying to heist the same object. So in a heist format, you know, as long as you have that MacGuffin, which could be um, the thing they're, you know, the thing they're stealing, you can get um, all these people together. And then whether you want to actually have them work together in the end or work against each other, it doesn't matter as long as there's a, that conflict. Um, so, you know, what would they be stealing? There's a whole number of things you could choose. Um, you know, you could choose a person. I thought it might be interesting to maybe they have to hide something that's ridiculous. So I'll, I was thinking of the long maker, the really big 3D printers. So they have to figure out how are we going to get this giant object out of this rich guy's fortress in the middle of the ocean? You know, that kind of a heist. That's the basic premise. Just get some characters together. And it all hinges really on how interesting the characters are. So you start with the faction, then you build on that and figure out what qualities do they have because of where they came from. I've always been a big fan of heist movies. I've often tried to run heists to varying degrees of success and <laughs> I think it really does come down to like interpersonal conflict. I mm -hmm. think that the conflict between characters is really what makes it interesting and different people's um, motivations and, you know, reasoning behind what they're doing and why they're doing. I mean, Ocean's Eleven is, say what you will about the sequels, but the, the original remake <laughs> uh, was, was actually quite good. And uh, Neuromancer is, again, another classic heist, yep. uh, you know, kind of book. And I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. And mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit more about what we want to steal, because I think that yeah. would really that really separates a land of a thousand mods with other, you know, heist movies. I think the Longmaker is a good idea, but I also think mm -hmm. that some kind of DRM related uh, like item would. Yeah. Yeah. Some some kind of an IP, or maybe it's mm -hmm. like um, some kind oh, of person. AI. I I, yeah. I wasn't even thinking a person. I was thinking an AI. I yeah, was like, thinking of. I mean, what what would be great is if when they think they're trying to heist one thing, but when they get to it, they're like, "Holy crap! It's something else!" And then it's it adds complications. You know, that's another twist you can throw in. 
Oh, kind of like I've... how in Firefly they open up the case and they thought that they were had contraband, but it was a person. Yes, that that's or, or in our classic, uh, the Mandalorian, his heist it actually ends up uh-huh. um, not being the person he thinks. You know. Oh yeah, with with uh, the child, uh, exactly. not Baby Yoda, but. Yeah. Uh, Baby Yoda. <laughs> Uh, but no, I agree. It, like that's it all hinges on that MacGuffin, like too, and it's like a it's a it's a it's an opportunity to do something really f- weird because of our because of the uh, setting. Like I would really love AI because you've got maybe this black box, and it could potentially become a character now that's part of their crew that's not wanting to be stolen. Especially if it's an AI, maybe it controls parts of the fortress that they're stealing it from. <laughs> let's go ahead and try and do it this in a reverse way. Like, mm-hmm. has has there ever been? like a reverse heist movie before where, or, or like a reverse heist story where we don't see, you know, the, where we're not rooting for the heroes being the ones infiltrating, but the ones yeah. being infiltrated. Is that something that's ever been done before? Because if not, like, I know that there's been siege movies, which are very different, but I'm talking about like counter espionage in a way, like mm-hmm. counter heist movies, or is that like something that just doesn't break down because of the tropes of the genre? I think it could totally work. Um, you know, then that just means that the the heisting characters, you know, obviously still have to be interesting, but in a sense, they're cast as the villains. So then it's almost like the reverse heist would be like Home Alone, right? So the kid is at home preventing the, them from stealing from the house, you know? <laughs> so he's setting all these traps. So then in this setting, what would be an interesting location to be the base that they're stealing from, essentially? Now... That, that's really close to Siege, but do you mean also where you might want to put an item for you to get it later when you go there kind of thing? So say you uh, hide a weapon underneath a table. This way, when you get checked before you go in, you don't have any weapons. And then oh, suddenly you reach under the table, pull out a pistol, and you're Still armed. trying to set, up the, set the table for the heist in advance. And then when you get in there, all the things you need are already in place. Correct. I don't know if that's a reverse heist so much as like a well-planned heist, you know? I mean, if you're not stealing something. (laughs) Oh, true. (laughs) It's more of an assassination. All right. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and make a little heist scenario then. Yeah. Uh, Actually I had, so, so for what I was going to bring, I was going to break down my types of suggestions into creating a genre within the world, right? Because Mm -hmm. where we are now, we're sitting at it and looking at it as the land of a thousand mods is a cyberpunk world, right? But realistically, if you were to live in that same world, you wouldn't know that it's cyberpunk. This is just the world that you know. And thus, right. And thus you can tell any type of story within it. And, you know, this is where the kind of blending of genres comes in. And for mine, one of the genres that I, is near and dear to my heart and I did want to talk about was horror. Because, I mean, in a world where the meat market exists, oh, I man. wanted to do something that is absolutely horrifying. And for me, what I was interested in doing is something along the lines of, well, why wouldn't you just play a horror game where you're people who are trying to avoid the meat market men? Oh, man. Oh. Yeah. And, and of course, what's most horrifying is that that's basically a slasher villain, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is an unstoppable uh, to you because you're, you're essentially like a poor person with unmodded parts that have yet to be sold. Mm-hmm. And there's something, and not only that, but one, by definition, you have something that is extraordinary about you. So there's something unique about the character already. Mm-hmm. Two, it's extra unique in the world because it's a matter of 
well, this person has an unmodded part that's actually of high quality. That's two things that separates you from the others. And thus you already have like some kind of a main character or at least maybe a, a slew of characters. And of course the meat market men are so fucking scary. They're terrifying. They're, they're, they're trained to hunt you down. And I have two options with this. And I have a third because you mentioned a, a heist, right? Uh, one is you can either play the role of the people who are trying to avoid the meat market people. So you're like dodging and running through the streets as you're being stalked and hunted down. Yeah. You could do it. You could play it that way. Number two, you could also play it as you've all been gathered because you've all been captured by the meat market. So you're in You're. Oh, it's okay. essentially think of it like the opening of Skyrim where you're all in a, in a, in a, wagon in the back you're you're off yeah exactly where you're on your way to what is certain death or worse at the hands of the breakout right and then not only that if you're doing this from an rpg perspective think about the fact that you that's how you gather the party you all have something remarkable about yourself and now it's a breakout right oh that's a really cool premise too to start with yeah yeah right and so it's like, that's how you get the crew together is because mm-hmm. you all have valuable bionic parts or not bionic, but meat parts. Yeah. And then that's how it starts. And then the third option that I, that you actually inspired within me, Daniel, is imagine a heist where you're trying to break people out of the meat. Market. Oh, yeah. I like Ooh. that. Yeah. And, and so you get heist mixed with horror as, you know, like maybe you don't necessarily uh-huh. know what the meat market's all about, but as you get deeper and deeper into its bleeding black heart, oh, you, you realize start to horrible see... things. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. Yeah. So I, lo- I love that. Because the settings also dictate how that would work. Like for the, the last one you talked about, you know, you're going into the heart of the beast, right? So there's a lot of unknowns and it's definitely like the dark corridor kind of horror setup. And the, and the market, when the one on the cart, for example, like they could be on their way in between two locations. That's like the apocalyptic space. So now you got to like brave that plus the people hunting you. And then the first one, it could be like your own back, you know, hometown. And you're like running through like back alleys and stuff to get away from them. Right. And that's, and that's kind of what I wanted to go with because like, again, horror is so expansive and can, you can tell so many different types of stories with it that that's what I wanted to go. And I mean, I can just focus on the meat market, but realistically I could go, you know, all sorts of different types of horror with it. But anyway. well, there's so much body horror too in that concept. Cause that's like, you know, the evasion of the body through technology is like essential to, to cyberpunk. So that like that cuts, cuts to the core. What's, what's funny is that I wouldn't necessarily even argue that it's an invasion. It's more of, it's more the amalgamation of humanity and technology, right? More than mm-hmm. anything else. That's kind of what you'd have to take a look at. Yep. All right, I, I feel like that's a really fun blending of genres. Chris, how does your uh, what what is the way that you're planning on integrating into this? I w- I wanted to go with the way that a lot of RPG sessions start uh, and use kind of the tropes, but spin it in a cyberpunk way, uh, and also not do something that is entirely like overdone. Uh, so you know the amnesia kind of start where no one remembers anything of what happened. Mm-hmm. Yep. My idea was it that when the AI put itself into some host, uh, it kind of erased any memories or anything. And so people woke up and the person that you are playing as unknowingly is the AI itself. Oh, I like that. And the reason that you have some extraordinary abilities or like 
really good skills and uh, and just react faster than everyone is because you are an AI, but you don't know it. And to add another layer of it, since the AI knew that it couldn't fit its entire personality into one person, you're split up into the group. Oh, that's great. That I was wondering if you're going to take it to that level, because like, that's totally alien, too, in terms of how AI can work. That's really mm-hmm. cool. And yeah, that's a really... So you're essentially part of a collective or like a hive mind type thing? Correct, but you don't know it. And I wanted uh, everyone to have that kind of sense that they know each other. And that is based on the fact that they were once one being. But to also add it, the AI did do one other thing to make it that its goals that it wanted in the world might still be accomplished. And I wanted kind of the VR experience of where the enemies of the AI appear as like maybe monstrous or clearly the enemy, even if they're just like the police or the men in black or whatever, they outwardly look like something that it's just like, Oh my God, these things are hunting the us. Why does no one else see this? It's such a fantastic so mystery setup too. Yeah. I do like the, I really do love the idea that the AI is controlling perception because I think that when you talk about shared consciousness and the collective consciousness, that idea of what is the unifier has to be addressed, right? And the mm-hmm. idea that the AI is controlling it is really fascinating. Uh, what? But does the AI's personality kind of peek out in different ways through each person? Like, how, how would that work exactly? So that's what I see. Like, each thing that the person is good at is kind of like a subroutine of the AI or something that the AI personally tailored this person for, or at least put those memories, that knowledge into that person. I love so that as Voltron. A... Yes, yes. <laughs> right. It's it, it AI Voltron. But like, exactly. uh, oh, I, I've never seen this, but, oh God, I've never seen this, but it's somewhat similar to Sense8, I would imagine. Oh, I, I tried watching it. It's so bad. Oh, that good? Bad, <laughs> yeah, uh, bad. I have friends who really enjoyed it. And also, Daniel, you have questionable taste. I like, mean, it was by right. the Wachowskis. The Wachowskis have not made anything good since The Matrix 1. That's accurate. That's 100% <laughs> accurate, actually. You know, that's true. I mean, if I would have taken Daniel's advice, I probably would have never seen, like, uh, Pacific Rim. <laughs> Which yeah. you would be better for. But I digress. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> oh. I, I love the I love the concept though that they, that they, you have an automatic party and that party is intimately connected even though they don't know it because that's a but great way to play it. There's also one other thing that I was thinking of that say you don't want to do the amnesia thing because it's been done before. You uh-huh. could just have the perception aspect where oh, people yeah. are seeing things and they're coming together as like a conspiracy theory group. And they're like, yeah, I see these things too. I see the lizards on TV. You see them oh too, man. Oh my god, I can see that as like an AA group, you know. But oh, it's like, great. yeah, <laughs> like a yeah, Fight Club, I mean, but for the AIs. <laughs> I, I actually think I, I think I certainly like that more. Is that you're drawn together, and you think it's a natural thing, but realistically, the AI has been drawing you together algorithmically. You know, like kind of oh, man. subconsciously the entire time. You know, like you think you're completely in control. And yet you look around you and you're like, oh, I've been controlled this entire time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, the like reveal that. would be the big part for, for every woman. They're like, oh, my God, we're not. There's no such thing as free will. Yep. Oh, well, man. when you're part of the AI. And become one again? Or do we 
you know yeah is they, yeah is this is this childhood's end where at the end you know humanity ascends and becomes part of the universe or is it like oh or, or is it like hey let's join the flesh pile like that type of thing well, it's an identity question, which I think is what's cool. Like, are you like, is your identity your own or is it the consequence of like the things that have, you know, happened to you? And what is your identity determined by like how you were created, which is literally the case for the AI people, you know? Um, I, so you, the, the, the dualist faction, I imagine would be intimately related to this, right? Like, wouldn't they want to be hunting these people because, you know, they're constructs? Yes. Cool. Yeah, I'm definitely seeing this more as like a conspiracy thriller now. Mm-hmm. Something along the lines of there's a political mystery that they have to solve and it's going to take them to a certain place. And then at the end, it's revealed that they've never had any control at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've been kind of uh, breadcrumbed this entire way by the AI. And, you know, like, I think there you could even play around because I'm not seeing this necessarily as like an RPG session. I'm definitely seeing this more of a story. And I'm seeing it along the lines of something like, hey, um, oh, it's like a conspiracy theory. And and again, I'm seeing this more of a as a novel or a story because yeah. I can see like you have a strong sense because you're I, I, in, in the way the way I'm structuring it. Right. Is that you're doing POV chapters each time. Mm. And then in one of the POV, like you, you get a strong sense of one of the characters. And then at some point in the story that character has to make a choice and it is completely out of character mm-hmm. for who they are. And that is like the hint to the reader that, Oh, what's going on here. You know, like that's so out of character for them. And then at the end it's revealed, this whole thing is revealed. And then you, you realize like, Oh, it wasn't out of character. They just never had control in the first place. That type of thing. Oh my God. I mean, and, and structured as a, as a, like as a novel, as you're saying, or like a long form work, like you also have that fourth perspective of the reader. So if we have all the points of view they're reading, um, the reader is picking up on the things that stitch them together. So the reader might start to come to the conclusion just before the reveal that, oh, wow, these people are all the same person or they're all dictated by the same like identity, which would be really neat. Yeah. And that's, that's the ideal, isn't it? Like you want to always make sure that your reader is just one step behind behind you. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Because, and what I would want to avoid in general is I don't want them to be the same person because I feel like that plays into that kind of that trope that I'm not a big fan of, which is the psychological, you know, like disassociative disorder type thing. Oh, right, right. That's, yeah, what I mean by that is like they um they they're they're they started as the same person because they're the same AI, but clearly they've developed their own identities because they got split, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That that that's what I'm more interested yeah. in for sure. Yeah. Yeah, they have to deal with the chemicals inside the human body, the, uh, cool. the aches, the pains, the stimuli that they see every day. Pooping. Yeah. Oh god, yeah. Irritable <laughs> bowel syndrome. Oh yeah. Oh man. Actually, what I think would be kind of fun, right, is that you could you could add in the extra character that is the AI itself describing biological functions and just and you know like cool. it's in a completely alien way, right? In a completely detached way. I think that'd be kind of a fun way to do it. And then maybe as you're sprinkling this throughout the novel, people are like, "Why the fuck is, like, what are is these this?" Chapters? And yeah. I like, know. It's like, what is up with this? Hey, I, I love those kind of mean. chapters. Yeah, when in the book, when you have the weird ones where you're like, this doesn't make any sense, but I'm weirdly interested, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or it's like you've heard log. that story, right? Yeah, which, which short story? Just like they move their meat and then they oh yeah yeah vocalize yeah, using the meat. This. Yeah, mm-hmm. we talked about this. In the what is that short story called? I always forget. I'll send it to you. 
Yeah. I love that one, though. Alone yeah. in the Universe or something. Yeah. All right. Um, Daniel, what's the second? What's the other one that you want to talk about, by the way? Um, I wanted to go back to my um, my Doomed Dwarves that I came up with um, and Your give them some... My what? Doom Dwarfs, my um, my uh, Doom Vergers, the, the the Norse word for for dwarf, and then Doom in front of Was it. Was I here oh. for that episode? Did you guys record yes. an episode about me? I slipped right <laughs> past you, like, or did I just hear dwarves and I just like you just blanked out? out. You were like, yeah. hey, I have to go to the bathroom real quick, and we just kept going. Yeah, hard I, in the Dwarfville. I'm not really I sure how it got the past podcast. How did you get it around? Me? <laughs> you once so again, the, had to go to the bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> these are the guys who live um under the ground in the geothermal um like powered society. Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I remember they're, this. They're like the eco I, people. Yeah, I, I do not think of them as dwarves at all. So. <laughs> cool. So I'm thinking like there's also so I remember running across this um this. It's really just an article in the real world of uh, these things called doomsday seed vaults, um, and they're um, I think in Svalbard, like they're way off. I don't know if I pronounce it properly, but they're they're way off, um, far away from us. These vaults um, where they keep lots of different types of seeds in the event of a doomsday that could happen, um, so that we would ha- be able to recover, um, you know, that kind of vegetation if it doesn't grow in the world anymore. So in this future, I'm sure let's, we can assume those vaults somewhere exist. So I'm thinking in this kind of um, story, we'd have sort of like a journey story where, um, you know, you have a, a band of characters, possibly from the um, the, the Doomverger uh, group, who have to brave the AI uh, plotted wilds in order to find the seed vault and recover some of these seeds so they can continue to grow, um, you know, or, or try to re- Bring, bring back vegetation to the world or to their society um, under the ground. Um, so they've got to go through this kind of really dangerous long journey um, and, um, you know, break their way into that vault and recover them. So it gives you an opportunity for playing with maybe the religious undertones of their apocalypse cult. Um, and you have kind of like a the road kind of scary journey where you've got to face all kinds of unknowns in the wilds. Um, and the other thing is that the the MacGuffin thereafter is like unprintable and really uh, valuable, even though it's literally just seeds, you know, because it's biological. You can't reprint. Right. You can't print it because it's a biological thing. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And right. it's its own kind of IP too, you know, in a sense. Well, I mean, in a Monsanto type of way, right? Like <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you? Do they know that it's a seed vault, or is it one of those things where just like this is where the promised land is? It, they they have totally plants of way. every kind. I like that because it, they probably view it as a religious or divine location, so they may not know exactly what's in it, but just that it'll restore um, fertility to the to their society. I'm yeah, I'm getting like a Mad Max vibe type of thing. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Where, yeah, where in the far, like, far oh, away, in the long, long ago. No, actually, I'm thinking more. I'm thinking more of like, oh, we've got to get the guzzoline out of that tank. Yes, yes. You know, and, so, <laughs> and they're and they're going to get to this this you know seed vault, and maybe at this point, do they even know how to cultivate anything? They may it's not. I mean, probably the vault has instructions that they're or they're looking at these corrupted um, these corrupted like tracts they have because they're the ones collecting information about the pre-apocalypse world. Oh. Um, or yeah. hold on, sorry. Or they get to this because uh, I'm thinking of like bittersweet journey oh, type thing, okay. 
where this pilgrim gives everything that he has mm-hmm. and he gets to the vault and opens it. And imme- and as soon as the air hits these seeds, the air is poison to them. And oh, it's like, man. Boom, dust. Yeah. Or they, they turn into dust. That would be so dark. Yeah. I love that. I'm so it's, into it's that. like it's the futility of it all. Right. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what I'm into. Yeah. That's definitely kind of like, oh, that's so doomsday, you know, feeling too. Absolutely. My next one's uplifting. <laughs> please go on christopher tell us about your uplifting journey it's about not an uplifting never stopping journey. believing go ahead i had a loose idea for two but one of them is definitely more happier and i think i'll do that just to counter that sadness <laughs> uh-huh. and i was going to do it as a uh, cyberpunk with pets as far as oh. people making uh intelligent pets where just imagine like your cat has like a cybernetic brain that brings it up to like a the intelligence of an eight-year-old oh that would be fun i can even picture like a pet store being a factor here like being the center of the story correct but also what if you did it as the players are the pets oh okay we're taking it to furry town I, I, no, no. Yeah, see, this is where my brain immediately goes. It's like you're trying to be uplifting, but this there's all sorts of dark consequences here that I don't think you're aware of. I, like, I'm aware, and I don't want you to say them. It's not a kill shelter. Okay, you are aware that cyberpunk is innately like kind of scummy and awful, right? Like that's where it starts and ends. Oh yeah, I know, and it's all about like what if? Just imagine getting this like purebred cat. It has the intelligence, like. It's even worse in a cyberpunk setting where they would be like, oh, yeah, this is a kill shelter. But they have the intelligence of an eight-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I like – you could do lost pets too. Like, you know, where you could have a, a child who's a protagonist and he's trying to find his lost pet. And it's like you're trying to find it in this horrific cyberpunk life landscape, you know. So actually the, the other thing that I was thinking – have you ever read the the graphic novel We Three? Mm-mm. Okay. Um, in some – real quick summary – it's basically three animals that are given cybernetic enhancements and what oh. they are in their journey. But honestly, what you're talking about, Chris, I mean, it's already been proven that cats and dogs have intelligence of like the equivalent of like a three to six year old child. Mm-hmm. So I think all you would really need to do for the most part is just give them the ability to vocalize things, right? Like we already look at our pets and we're like, oh my God, that cat is so smart. And then, you know, <laughs> If, if we can only vocalize what they're saying, I think that's really all you need in terms of cybernetics mm. with cat with animals, right? Yeah. Yeah, I give them some mobility that. too, you know. And and obviously, like, or actually, maybe not so obviously, is this something that's so ubiquitous that even poor people can have cybernetic pets? How does that work exactly? Well, yeah, I'm thinking that, like, the base, like, this is, think of animal testing and how often uh, things will be, done on that first so in order to see the long-term side effects of anything cybernetics were probably used on animals first just to yes uh, it out. oh yeah Ab- absolutely yeah that's that that's ab- yeah i i uh recently finished moxie lynn by lauren bukes mm-hmm. and something like that happens where they essentially test nanotechnology on dogs and make like nano dogs for a while before they move into the human testing phase. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I, I can absolutely see that. The, the but, other thing that I see 
being good for is just as companions to a story. Like, say that there's a guy who is biologically pure and doesn't want to get cybernetics, but he has a pet and he sees no qualms in upgrading them because what if he did get them to the point of where they could vocalize and and it's just like, hey, we need more food. So could you, I don't know, invest in giving me something that could pick locks? Or, or maybe it's just a Swiss Army dog. Yeah. Oh, that's even. I love that. Oh my god. It's Rush. Man's best friend it's, there. Yeah, it's it's not just Rush. Oh my god, no, you're right. It's Rush from the Mega Man cartoon. Yes. Is what it is. Oh, that's terrible. That's awful. But what's what's great about the pets thing though is like usually we use um the pets as companions to tell to to talk about human qualities without having to like use the humans directly. So I think it's a great way to like tell stories where you're not being so direct about the the theme of the story because you can use the pets, you know, almost like a metaphor um, because they're such they're so close to humans, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you want to use, you know, even in the example that we're giving, right, like you can make that story about class mm-hmm. where it's this pure, you know, like, or this no bionic part in him and then his swiss army dog and that is very clearly about class because he's rich and the dog which represents poor people you know because Mm. he's purely cybernetic at this point exactly yeah you know like that that's a not necessarily an obvious statement but it's a statement that could be made for sure yeah and we accept it because we relate to pets you know like they've been with humans since humans were humans you know (laughs) that's why yeah absolutely that's the, I think that I think that makes for an interesting point, right? Like, mm-hmm. what does what does this mean overall for and for for pets? Because they're going to evolve just like we will once the cyberpunk future gets to us. If it's not already I mean, here, you know. I mean, realistically, they're going to evolve before us because we're going to put that shit on them. Well, we're yeah. we're going to breed okay. them till they do it. <laughs> okay, okay, hold on, because I just realized that. We're, we're talking like when we think of pets, we're thinking of like dogs and cats, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, in the, in the cyberpunk future, it's not just going to be that, you know, that there's going to be oh, that weird guy who has like a slinky ferret. Or <laughs> I like, love that. <laughs> or like, oh my God. Hold on. A hold on. <laughs> no, stop. Cause I need to talk about what, tiger king looks like in cyberpunk yes we have to make tiger punks okay can we spend the next 25 minutes (laughs) so i know i said that this was going to be the final part but we're going to have an entire episode we can fit it we can fit it in okay cyber king what about the okay what about saf who has like the arm that's missing like she could totally she's already cyberpunk oh my god oh my god Oh my god, this is what quarantine does to your brain. Yes. Holy shit. Oh, oh, was, oh my god, a lot of them are missing limbs. Like, it's perfect already. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh my, and you can have like cyber animals. Of Oh my god, this is amazing. This is fucking incredible. <laughs> cyber yeah, tigers. No. Well, you know one, one yeah. person just turned their pet tiger into a motorcycle. Yes, tiger cycles. Yeah. Yes. Oh my god, this is the dumbest. <laughs> did you, shit did I've you ever read? No, wait. What was it called? Um, um, uh, Zoids. Futuristic violence and fancy suits. There were tiger cycles yes. in that book, and yes. it was amazing. I, oh I actually, I, I re- that book, I was very disappointed in because I love, <laughs> I love, uh, part. What's his name? I, I, yeah. His real name is is uh, yeah. Justin Pargen. I can't his remember. His name is David Wong. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yes. 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 I loved John dies at the end and mm-hmm. um, 
this book is full of spiders don't read yeah it. yeah this one but definitely I, drags on and it's like yeah. unnecessarily long but it still has moments like the tiger cycles <laughs> I, I i think oh i read God. to the point where like there's this guy who has like electricity coming out of him and he's dangling in baby doll heads <laughs> so ridiculous and i'm like i'm good like i'm tapping out i just i had to like, power through it because i'm like this is so insane i can't stop yeah. <laughs> have you have you read his other stuff though i haven't read the i read part like the very beginning of the very first one which was really wacky but it's amazing <laughs> yeah I've so yeah. for some reason i have a higher tolerance for wacky bullshit mm-hmm. in horror than i do for sci-fi yeah because it was reason, like, like so over the top sci-fi in this <laughs> yeah i think over the top is fine when it yeah. comes to that okay i i was gonna do mine but now we do ha- i do want to spend a little bit more time on <laughs> on cyber tiger king because that is so fucking ridiculous we just renamed the episode in fact the whole podcast (laughs) yeah exactly well actually cyber tiger king yeah god Uh, is there already like there's so many hooks there you just take the exact plot from the documentary (laughs) you have a murder mystery you have Uh criminal organization yes you got smuggling you have technically heist uh, illegal animal activity yeah, I mean, fuck it. Why why not throw Tiger King into that, right? Why don't we? I, oh, okay, why don't we take each of our story hooks and recast it in Tiger King? Oh my god. Uh, well, I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Carol Baskins okay. is an AI. Carol, oh goddamn, Carol Baskin. <sighs> okay, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. We can we can do this. Let's fucking do this. Yeah. All right. Uh, the meat market is in charge of not just humans and finding the best bionic humans, but also yeah. breeding animals for these kind of, you know, like awful, you know, cyber tigers and everything people. like that. They, they capture people too to transform them into super tigers. Like they want to, they mix and match. It's like chimera stuff. They like do really oh. fucked up stuff. Yeah. Or, or it's like, oh, we need specific cybernetic parts for them. Yeah. And rather than manufacture them, it's like, oh, we have to pull them from living people, you know, like mm-hmm. that type of shit. That's what they, okay. so they want, like some super hearts. They like take cyber pets. <laughs> yeah, no, fuck record. your cyber pets. We're doing Tiger King now. Come on. Tiger King. Oh, uh, so Meat Market is like okay. super breeders. Okay. You know what's crazy to me is that, like, in, in like five to 10 years, there's going to be like RPG games and stories yes. where. People who have no idea what Tiger King is mm-hmm. are going to be like, wait a minute, this is crazy. I don't know. In this RPG, it's a little bit far-fetched. I mean, these characters <laughs> don't make any sense. And it's like, oh. I need and to get on like, that like, today. Straight, yeah, it's like ripped straight from the fucking headline. It's like, no, this shit is fucking crazy. We need to produce uh, that TRPG before someone else does, like right now. Oh, uh, in the beginning of Tiger King, remember that guy who released all of his damn pets? Oh yeah, that crazy guy. Yeah, 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 in the backyard. Like that is a plot hook in itself. You could just That's have a bunch it. of cybernetic animals escape mm-hmm. and start terrorizing. And you're figuring all. it out. Yeah. Yeah, that story is actually way more tragic than yeah. Um, I mean, what about the my favorite guy in that show is the is the weird videographer who's got like this bizarre like western you know um, what is it called the the detective show? Um, no. no, no, no. What's the detective show with um? With McConaughey, um, oh, I know exactly. De- what you're talking he's about got like a true detective vibe. Like he's this creepy the, the videographer guy with the hat. 
yeah, who they no, burned yeah. down his studio. Yeah, like he would be a great like Western character when you're talking about crossing genres, you know? Hey, <laughs> to have speaking, he's like the old man in the dude. Crossing genres. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of my, it's funny you mentioned westerns because my other idea mm-hmm. is actually doing a western. Do uh, it. Because, Tell us about that. Because I I was thinking about the idea of like westerns in the old days are cowboys and lawlessness and shit like mm-hmm. that, right? What what how and how does that work right like when you look at how westerns are done now like you look at the mandalorian which is straight up a western like yeah. it is it, and and don't it's get like, me wrong it takes from a great tradition of westerns because that's what star wars was built on that and stealing directly from akira kurosawa um but <laughs> yeah but uh i was thinking western in the sense of well we're talking about frontier we're talking about lawlessness why not go to the storm chasers and not necessarily the pirate aspect of it. Although you could do that. You could have them be the antagonists, right? I was thinking more of just like the guy who's trying to do his job, protecting the mainland from these massive superstorms and stuff like that. Oh, I love, so like, he's like a twister chaser basically. Right. But he's, but, or, or even doing something along the lines of a lawman who's just trying like who's trying to track down a person and this is the backdrop like this is like you know like the oceans of plastic the mm-hmm. superstorms those are all like dressing to the very personal story of him seeking out vengeance and trying to track down a single person and bring them to justice that type I of love thing. that as a character cuz character studies like that like are super fun because you can get really deep into what he's all about Absolutely. Right. And so my question to you guys becomes, you know, you, you use these uh, backgrounds as metaphors and everything like that. What do you think the best way to integrate land of a thousand mods would be into this type of story? What, um, what do we know about this? The person he's trying to get vengeance on. Oh, you know what we could do? And no, no, I hate this. I hate this idea. Okay, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. But I hate it. Okay, good. Uh, have you, have you ever read Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy? No. Okay, I think so. The, imagine, uh, okay, Cormac. It's first of this all is the guy who wrote the road, right? Yes. No. What? It, it is. No. It is. Yeah, it's the same guy. Uh, it's oh one God. of my favorite books of all time. Uh-huh. And it took me three tries to get through it. And each try I got through it. And every time, like the first two times I just stopped. I'm like, fuck this book. I can't do it. <laughs> On the third attempt, I, fu- I hate fucked that book, uh-huh. read it all the way through. And I, I closed it and I'm like, I'm finally fucking done with that book. Oh my God. Yeah. Wait, wait. I think that's my favorite book now. I think it's somehow one of my favorite books. And it's like this weird, like experiential thing where you you just read it and you're like, what the fuck happened to me? And that is part of what makes it so evocative and so good is that you experience a lot of that transformation yourself. And he does that through the text, which I think is so brilliant, but this isn't lit corner. We're talking about cyberpunk. Uh So my, whole transition into that becomes this is a character who basically gets involved with a group of men who go out and commit a bunch of atrocities in the name of the U S government. 
Mm-hmm. Not that that's ever happened before. Uh, <laughs> but essentially he goes across the Mexican border and becomes an outlaw, but also kind of not an outlaw. And then it's there, there's actually a brilliant uh, little tweet quote that I read about at one time, which is regeneration through violence. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to make that a, I want to make that a theme of what we're talking about here, right? Oh, okay. Where... So, so maybe if what he's doing is in a sense reparations for his own soul, like if he's going, if he, if he's, I like the, I like the phrase uh, regeneration through violence. Like this character's journey now, as he, you know, patrols the edges where the storms are, is to find the people who, who created him, to turn him into this monster. So, like the people he worked with, and and making amends, like bringing them to justice one at a right, time like right like the only way that he can redeem himself in any mm-hmm. way is to commit horrible acts of violence on those who created him right it's his final yeah. it's like putting to rest the thing that started it all once he kills that last person there'll be nothing left of him and he'll die you know but he knows that right and then but in in spoilers for one of the best books of all time mm-hmm. but in uh, blood meridian the whole idea is that it's a cycle that never ends and in the book, you guys aren't going to read it, are you? Um, no, you can spoil it. I mean, I okay. may read it someday, but it's okay if you spoil it. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll spoil it for you. It's fine. Yeah. But in the book, what ends up happening is that the antagonist, who's known as the judge, is the one who wins. And that it's more of an indication that the cycle of violence will continue forever. Um, okay. So if you want a cycle of violence to continue, I'm thinking like kill bill. Um, like when she goes after the assassins who um, like ruined her life, she kills one of the ones she kills as a child, which then kind of, uh, you know, sets up the idea that revenge only begets more of it. So, you know, it's possible that when he finally achieves whatever he sets out to achieve, like he eliminates the last guy, like, he's set in motion, you know, someone who's inspired to do what he did, you know, which only starts it all over again. See, I like the idea that uh, actually that that's hold on. Let, let me restart that. <laughs> Wait. I really like that because it says a lot about revenge, right? Like when you think mm-hmm. about the major revenge stories, you think of stuff like Moby Dick and you think of stuff like, Hey, kill bill is absolutely a great revenge story or something like old boy, right? Where yeah. that's like, is always continues on forever but there's also something where it's like well is that the point like where that's i don't know it's not enough yeah yeah that that's kind of how i feel like it's not enough for me that it's just a continuous cycle of hatred and violence right Mm -hmm. maybe maybe in this story this is the only way that it can end is through violence right like how, how, how does that work exactly is there a way to tie the aspect of the environment and its violence to the whole story like you that's, said that yeah that's actually what i was hoping to get at is that because you're looking at these super storms right like right the raging storms are a great metaphor for the inherent violence within the person that we're talking about here do you we know, like, literally want to tie them together is that the goal I don't think I don't think I don't think physically tying them together. I think mm. that metaphorically tying them together would make a little bit of sense. And I think perhaps at the end having them destroyed by a raging superstorm uh-huh. or maybe tracking this person down to the edges of a superstorm. Oh, and he they perish in the superstorm. 
something like that. You that know, would be it's kind like, of poetic. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or even something along the lines of they track them down to the edge of a superstorm and then they're going to die anyway. And it really mm-hmm. didn't matter in the beginning, you know, because they were going to die in the superstorm. But the fact that they got to this person and killed them and got their revenge, you know, that's what mattered to them. Yeah. But maybe I, he, get, he takes it, him out during the storm and the storm takes them both, you know? Right. But it's like, oh, I got to twist the knife right before the storm got you. Like, right. It shows mm. the, again, the futility of it all more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. All right. All right. So obviously I think that's going to wrap it. I think that we're a good stopping point for now. And the obvious infusal yeah. storms, that's where we had. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think we do have to recognize that the MVP for this particular episode is definitely going to be cyber tiger King. Yes. Uh, we, we do. I, I do want to give special shout outs to that idea because man, it, Carol just, Baskin. I know. And Carol Baskin. Yep. Whoa, 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 whoa. Innocent until proven guilty. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I would actually agree with that. I'm like, it's not like her husband was a good person to begin with. Like, he did scoop her up off the side of the road. You know, it's that not God, like he's at God all predatory. And God he damn. was looking to disappear or do something shady right before all of that happened. Yeah. All right. Uh, anyway, I, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, we really hope that you enjoyed our little dalliance into the land of a thousand mods. We're going to be doing series like this, uh, kind of shorter, sweeter episodes more often. And this is going to be kind of the format going forward. So what we're going to need from you all is prompts and ideas similar to the one that we we've kind of gone through here. And if you want to send those to us, please do so by emailing us at worldbuildwithus at gmail.com, or you can go ahead and send us a tweet or a DM at let's world build and all of those links are going to be in the show notes and stuff like that as per usual uh, and i've been rob hilferty here with daniel quinn and chris prunty we love you very much and we hope you have a great week